Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Nick W., Jackie A., and Paul M. New guest, Mark Haywood, is on the show today. Mark is president, CEO, and director of Skozink Mining. The company is advancing to restart the Scotia Mine, a conventional open-pit zinc lead mine in Nova Scotia. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol S. Z M and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol S W N L F. Mark, welcome to the show and how are you, sir? Thank you, Andrew. I'm very good. Appreciate it. Uh, your time and uh, the opportunity to be involved in your uh, weekly uh, radio show. Well, it's good to have you on and um, you're a new guest on the show. And I suspect most of the audience is probably not familiar with you, Mark, but maybe just cover your background and past experience in the natural resource business. Good question. Uh, when you're running a, a mining company, that they like to know the the CEO has been involved in the industry before. So I'm happy to mention that um, the fourth generation in the mining business. I grew up in Australia and Canada. I went to university in Sydney, Australia, where I obtained two bachelor degrees. So one was in mining engineering, and with a focus on the underground and open cut operations or open pit operations. And the second degree was uh, in law. Um, to focus on contracts, international law, mining, the environment, occupational health and safety, uh, essentially was tailored towards the mining industry. So I'm fairly detailed orientated and uh, my focus was on uh, part of that experience and part of obtaining that degree was to get some real world experience as an actual miner. Um, so I started uh, working on that uh, by operating trucks and loaders and excavators and rope shovels, you name it, and doing a lot of labour work, including drilling and blasting, underground uh, drilling, uh, surface exploration, surveying, and so forth, just to essentially to build out the practical experience, so gain a, a solid practical uh, skill set. Um, and that uh, essentially was about uh, 12 months of labour on the mine sites um, before I moved into uh, the technical side. And and really, I, I felt that was uh, having a, important to have a solid background before moving into the technical and more managerial aspects of a career in the mining uh, industry. After that, um, I started um, a training program, graduate training program with uh, Plaza Pacific and working in their three mines in Australia, two in Western Australia and one in Northern Queensland, and both are in the Australian ATTAC, of course. Um, and, and, and so that started on my typical career progression uh, from a graduate mining engineer to mining engineer, senior mining engineer, chief mining engineer, mine manager, and then ultimately general manager. And so that was 14 years of experience. Um, during that time, I had my law degree in my pocket, and um, that was essentially complementary to the engineering side. A little bit unusual, some might say, but really they are very, very much entwined. Uh, law, as you can imagine, and, and its association with mining companies and mining operations, and um, it became more and more useful, that background, as, as I progressed through towards uh, more senior roles. 
in terms of work experience, I've also worked around the world uh, in Australia, West Africa, Ghana, Guinea, Burkina Faso, uh, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, Burma or Myanmar, and working for some large and small companies, uh, including, as I mentioned, uh, Pacific, Ashanti Goldfields, BHP Billiton, and Goldfields as well. And so covering a lot of different uh, commodities, gold, copper, zinc, and lead, and coal. So since uh, 2006, I've been in the C-suite, uh, either as a CEO or other key decision maker, and back in Canada since 2008. A world experience in terms of my career to really move it along, and it wasn't until 2006 that um, I started mining aspiration companies, actually, and I've been either private or public. So I've been CEO of a TSX or a TSX Venture exchange-listed companies in both North and South America. So in total, had about 25 years of pure experience in the mining industry, which I believe brings me the confidence and on-job expertise required to uh, successfully run a, a mining company. So with that, last year, August of 2019, I became the president and CEO of Scozinc with the clear mandate to move the project forward. And, and one of those aspects was see what we had. Uh, bring it up to the next level and ultimately put it into commercial production and potentially take advantage of uh, improving bull market. Expansive background. I think it always pays really well to get your hands dirty and to do those early stage, uh, you know, stuff that you would do in your career. And I think it makes sense to be able to be on the ground and do those types of activities on these projects. Now, before I get to the zinc market here, maybe just briefly tell us the story that what led you to SCO Zinc, uh, who called you, what happened, and, and why did you take the job? A group of investors um, saw uh, the company moving along and they uh, contacted me to see uh, if there was something we could do to it because they obviously had a lot of capital uh, invested in the company. And so that was, uh, I did a due diligence on the project as I'd normally do for a number of other clients along my career. And I was quite impressed with uh, what they'd done to date but also the opportunity to move it forward and some of those uh, aspects of naturally based on the resource. Uh, it's a huge asset in Nova Scotia, but on the cusp of being back into commercial production, but it was something missing. And that's really why I came in and why I was asked to come in is to determine what that was. The company had considerable debt and it needed to advance uh, to rectify that uh, debt situation but also to move the project forward. Being a permitted uh, operation, which could go into commercial production very shortly, that, that's a, a very compelling um, opportunity for a mining engineer like myself is to bring these things back into production and create value for the stakeholders. And there's many, They're not only the investors in the company, but the local government, uh, Nova Scotian government, uh, taxes and so forth, and employment. So regionally and locally, this is a very important project and that was also the idea of me coming in was to see if we can turn this around and make a difference. Well, let's move to the zinc market. It's mm -hmm. been down. It had a nice run a couple of years ago, Mark. Mm -hmm. Your view on zinc here, uh, what do you think on the supply demand status? Um, and then also, what is your expectation on price to be over the next, say, one to two years? Sure. It was looking good when I joined, but obviously we weren't ready to go into commercial production. So initial COVID-19 shock in March this year disrupted some of the ideas behind that. I think it was building up. But as you know, the zinc price dropped down to about 80 cents a pound. 
But since then, uh, since March of this year, we've um, seen some recovery in that. You'd say it's quite remarkable going from 80 cents up to a dollar twenty-five a pound uh, just yesterday or the few days ago, and so that represents tremendous appreciation in the order of fifty-six percent, making zinc one of the best-performing commodities uh, since the start of the pandemic. And I think you would say that also this year, uh, that's virtually a major increase in in that. So the outlook, I think, uh, is is quite good, certainly for the next two years. The price pressures that have happened in the past with other operators, some unfortunate events in in South Africa with my shutdowns and other country imposed restrictions, travel restrictions on Zik Mine, they're all creating pressure on, on the commodity. And I think this is essentially a relieving pressure. On the demand side, we saw a sharp decline in economic activity in Q1 of this year. China came back to pre-COVID levels, if you like, uh, in Q2 and Q3 of this year. So that, again, generated some degree of rally and mainly forged in China. But we expect these to continue for the next few quarters as China's appetite continues to be strong. And as Western nations, I think, make progress on dealing with, with the virus and vaccines, and we see that culminating probably next year. I believe our timing is, is quite good in terms of getting into production. Commercial production is a nine to 12 month time frame from financing. So that's definitely an opportunity. And a final thing for the market, not many people realise this, and that the treatment charges for zinc concentrate and even lead concentrate, that has a big impact on price as well. So not only have you got a price increase just straight on zinc price and also lead, uh, but the costs of processing that or treating that has come down considerably. Uh, when we did our pre-feasibility study, the prices were looking to be $250 a tonne uh, to maybe even higher than that. And they've tumbled to two-year lows of just under $100 a tonne as uh, operators are competing, as smelters are competing for concentrates. That has a big impact on the economics of a project. And I think our economics for the Scotia mine have really improved, although we haven't done any additional studies since July. But when you put those numbers in, those forecasts uh, into our model, just shows that it's even better than we envisaged. So that's really, I think, a good outlook for the company. And definitely on a short to medium term outlook for zinc prices, I'm very bullish on those. And I certainly agree that I think we have some pretty stable pricing coming up. Mm. If pricing can hang where it is today, I think this project specifically is looking pretty good. Now, mm -hmm. definitely zinc done well. We've seen silver mm -hmm. do very well. Gold's mm -hmm. done well. Uranium mm -hmm. has really done well as far as the underlying, not the equities, but certainly the underlying uh, material has done well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, how about just briefly, and then let's get into Scozinc. Talk about lead for a moment because lead is also an important part of this project. What's your thoughts mm -hmm. on lead and how that market is shaping up? That's essentially a byproduct of our operation. So it's an important aspect because it reduces the overall cost of processing the C1 cash cost for the mine by adding that in. Um, I think it's also improving, but not as much as zinc. So I'd be mildly bullish on that as well. We've applied fairly conservative factors into the cash flow model for lead. And so if it does better, then it's just additional revenue for the project. In essence, the mine's cash cost, or all in sustaining costs, is 60 cents per pound. And if the zinc price, that's a long price, uh, life of mine price. So if the zinc price is $1.20, then essentially we're making 60 cents a pound, which is considerable margin. 
when we start off on the first few years, it's much higher than that, but it's still a 30 cents to 40 cent margin. So I think that is an important aspect of it. Um, we also have some other opportunities to add additional revenue into the project uh, as a byproduct. So uh, we'll talk about that another day. But I think overall, the commodity for the mine, uh, both lead and zinc, uh, right in a sweet spot for us. I think it's an important aspect to have kind of the at least a minimum got the, the zinc and the lead going, which, mm-hmm. you know, certainly better than some of the assets that only have zinc. But I want to talk more about costs in a moment, Mark, but let's just go high-level overview at Zinc as far as the capital structure, key shareholders that you'd like to point out. And then also, can you talk about your ownership level, cost basis for the shares, and then, of course, uh, cash on hand at the moment? In terms of capital structure, a very tight structure, especially for a junior mining company. We only have 14 million shares outstanding and about 7 million warrants and just under a million options. So it's very tight. A lot of those shares are in in known hands, if you like, so it's thinly traded. But we're working on that. Most of our shareholders who have come in uh, don't want to sell. They just obviously see the opportunity to be part of the company and and to grow their position and their value. So we really only have other groups that are are just selling who have small number of shares that have left over from silver and resources days. So as I mentioned, I joined last year in August. We've had two capital raisings since then. A lot of those new shareholders uh, came into them. Our new chairman, Ashwa Mera, uh, he came in and Mick uh, McMullen came in and have been long-term shareholders, at least for the, since I've been involved. They participated and have a very strong position, get on well with them. I think they're uh, excellent shareholders. And we have a group of other shareholders uh, related to them and part of my team as well have come in and, and see what we're doing and I like the opportunity to be involved. So that's why I mentioned uh, they've got a good position and it's certainly traded because you know we're executing on our strategy. And we have a legacy shareholders uh, who Korea Zinc and the estate of uh, Lloyd Miller the third, and the rest is essentially held by high net worth individuals uh, on a larger scale anyway. And so I think we're in a great position being tightly held, uh, thinly traded, that has its advantages, but improving. And you see in the share prices uh, increased, uh, the market caps increase, and that's part of the strategy, creating value for our shareholders. And Mark, can you talk about your ownership level and a cost basis, if you have that, and then cash on hand? And then also, I understand uh, Ross Beattie is still a shareholder, is that correct? Yes, uh, he's just under 10%. So he's uh, part of the new investors who have come in including myself. I have a quite a large position, six or seven percent of the 14 million shares, put a fair amount of capital into this company as well and my time and um, working full time on this. So it's essentially, it's a great project and it's worth being involved in. Our cash position, I think we're just under half a million. Uh, so we have uh, sufficient cash to get us through to February or March or even more uh, next year, working on the finance for the operation. Can you maybe speak just to the management as a whole, Mark? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you guys had a couple financings that were, you know, not far below where the current share price is. Can you just maybe speak to where, you know, management and these key shareholders came in at? I, I want to say yeah. it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood between, you know, 30 and 50 cents, if I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. That's right. The last two financings have been at 30 cents and 40 cents. Um, and we raised over $2 million in two separate uh, private placements. I obviously participated in that. They were both uh, oversubscribed um, to the maximum allowed. 
So it was a very good start for the company, and we've used that uh, capital very wisely, I believe. Uh, we've got our costs down considerably, and we still have cash in the bank. With our capital, we also have advanced the projects considerably, you know, doing resources and reserves and the pre-feasibility, and plus advancing uh, the environmental aspects of the company and permitting side of it. Um, we're moving all those forward as very quickly as we can. We have a great team on board in terms of management, and you know, myself and Rob Suddy, it's a CFO, and we have Simeon Candrea, who's our VP of IR. So we have a, a small team and we have a great board as well. We have a total of four directors right now. We just had some changes and some two of our uh, long-time directors uh, retired. And, and I appreciate their time and their involvement with the company. And uh, we had a good rapport. So I think going forward, you know, we're in a good position. The team on the ground is focused on their tasks and the company is in good shape now. And Mark, talk about uh, an overview of the pre-feasibility study that was recently completed. And then are you content that this study is enough to take this mine forward into restart? This is the first ever pre-feasibility study or PFS on the Scotia mine. And that's a major milestone to have completed that. Um, there was a collection of smaller virtually internal studies and repeat preliminary economic assessment. But for a mine that is permitted, it's quite unusual not to have some degree of reserves and other studies of that high level, even because it's a Brownfields project. So we issued a new resource statement, which essentially validated uh, previous work. And we put a press release out in December of last year on that. So it's quite detailed. I'd encourage your readers to look at those. And that was a low hanging fruit, I believe, but essentially a doubled resource space, which uh, led to some high degree of confidence in producing a mineral reserve that was larger or at least achievable. And we did that when as part of the pre-feasibility study. That it was the first ever mineral reserve on the project to NI43-101 level. The mine used to be an underground operation in I believe 70s. And then it was mined as an open pit operation for a couple of years by Acadian Mining in 2009, 2010. And really it hasn't really advanced. And there was some catalysts behind that, but we believe we've fixed all that uh, now with the work we've done, including geotechnical work, the detailed mine designs, pitch scheduling, all the planning uh, that you could imagine goes behind building an operation. Uh, when you're talking about my practical experience on the mine site, I was driving all that. I fully believe this is an operation that we can put in production in the, in the short term. And so what do we need to do in order to do that? Execution strategies detailed planning and then the permitting and moving that along so we have all the stakeholders on board. So the pre-feasibility study uh, resulted in the first ever mine life and, and that was 14 years. So that's a significant opportunity, not as if we're it's a large capital requirement and it's only a six-year mine life or something like that. Uh, this is all open pit. It's a long-term mine life. It's quite straightforward, really. It's one of the nicest operations I've had the pleasure to be involved with. Secondly, um, I believe our assumptions in the PFS are fairly conservative. We're in first world jurisdiction in Canada and Nova Scotia. Uh, we're 62 kilometres from a deep water port on all season highway. Uh, we have a mill that's fully built. It just needs a little bit of refurbishment. We've detailed that in a pre-feasibility study and we're working on reducing some of those costs. We've included the nominal discount rates, but overall, this thing has a very compelling net present value. This is all conducted by industry leaders, independent experts, the Senko Engineering, SRK, 
mine tech and uh, terrain geoscience. The results, uh, as a summary, were very good, very compelling. We can go through those if you like, Andrew, but I don't know whether your readers want to see that detail, but it's a small amount of money, a $30 million Canadian, long mine life and excellent cash flow. It is very compelling. Uh, the, the CapEx is fantastic and easily achievable, I mean, comparing to other projects. Talk just a moment about the, uh, and I want to get to some of the other aspects that you mentioned here in a moment, but can you talk just about the total cost that you expect? I know you mentioned the all-in sustaining costs of around 60 a pound zinc, mm -hmm. but when do you guys tack on the GNA costs company-wide? And I know that you've got expected project expiration and expansion plans, uh, probably at cash flow point in the future after production's ramped up. Do you see the total costs still coming in, Mark, at sub a dollar a pound zinc well, with the lead credits and all of your you know, expansion potential? Absolutely. The pre-feasibility study is fairly conservative, but it also produced very robust results. I'd say that just looking at that side, we're very, very much below the one dollar a pound which is going to increase our margins. Uh, we're working on more and more strategies to reduce costs below 60 cents a pound, and that's including all the GNA, that's the lead credits and so forth. So I think the PFS is naturally, you know, you've got independent experts involved and they like to be conservative in many ways. And I think they had a good balance of that, but there's a lot of other opportunities to reduce uh, operating costs and improve the margins. One of them, I think a lot of people may not realize, it's a very clean concentrate. It's a carbonate hosted deposit. And so there's very minimal impurities. There's really only one and that's cadmium and it's on a very low scale anyway. So it's well sought out by traders and smelters alike. And we believe that's going to translate into a premium for our concentrate. We haven't factored that into the cash flow either. So I think there's other things as well in terms of the project in uh, operating costs, the power costs, other byproducts uh, we could potentially add in, and that's the gypsum. We have to mine through it. So it has a essentially a zero cost to remove it from the ground because it's already paid for by the lead and the zinc. And so that's an opportunity to lower our costs and drive those all in sustaining costs and C1 cash costs lower. Well, talk about the expiration of resource expansion, mm. because obviously the project extends much beyond the existing mine footprint. Talk about what your plans would be on expiration, resource expansion potential. What do you think is out there that has not yet been uncovered? And is the plan to fund the expiration work and resource expansion later from operational cash flows expected probably, you know, potentially late 2021 or sometime in yeah. 2022? The first point is the expansion. Um, really, the work we did last year on the resource estimation, that was all done to 43101 by SRK. Uh, so we're very pleased and confident that uh, discovered a lot of emissions. So now, because we doubled that resource, that put us to 25 million tonnes. So that in itself is a huge resource increase from the, the six year that was envisaged before. With that, of course, um, you know, converting into a reserve, you lose some of that you know, on the economic side. So 14 years is a very good starting point. Because a lot of this mineralization and the carbonate is close to surface, the exploration costs are very low. And so we could look at some flow through and next year to potentially increase that, maybe increase the grade. But in all intents and purposes, we're really quite well positioned in terms of drilling for the first six to even eight years. 
So it would just be essentially just cream on the cake to do some additional drilling along some of the perimeter areas uh, in, in where the old underground workings were to improve that. So that along the strike, certainly uh, there's an opportunity to expand that. We have some other prospects uh, that are on strike that we have exploration licenses over. So there's an opportunity to do that and potentially push it way beyond the 14-year mine line. But the funding would be you know, it's not expensive to drill in there because it's uh, very quite uh, shallow drilling. That would naturally be funded out of either uh, flow through uh, before we're in production or during the production and, and revenue as part of the uh, free cash flow. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the other items here in a moment, but you mentioned permitting and, and local community work. Can mm -hmm. you just talk about that for a moment as far as the status of local community work that's been done and planned to be done? And then also, are all of the permits in place now with no need to do any modifications or do you need some modifications to restart? The mine's been there for quite a while. And so the community is well aware of that. We haven't uh, advertised broadly that we're going to production because I don't know exactly when we're going to hit production because it's contingent upon the, the finance. But we have a quite a good chap with us. He's doing our environmental and community coordination. So he's poised to uh, advance some of those aspects and engage with the community uh, specifically about timing. At the moment, we're just working quietly and, and engaging on a one-off basis, if you like to communicate that. But essentially, until we have the finance in place, I don't want to you know, trumpet that uh, we're going to be in production and deliver some false expectations. However, we are involved and uh, communicate frequently with the government of Nova Scotia, who are great supporters. Um, they've been involved in our recent technical report financially, uh, as well as generally supporting and communicating that, that approach. We believe that the community is, is quite good. And definitely, from my experience, as we go towards the production decision, we'll be more and more active in that area. In regards to permits, we have essentially two environmental assessments, and one of those is in good stead. The other one, we're just working on the renewal right now, an extension. It's essentially a date extension, waiting on a few things, but we expect that to be in place. And that gives us a mine life of a minimum of about five years based on those perimeters. With the pre-feasibility study, we weren't expecting it to essentially go to 14 years mine life. Um, so that would require an additional EA on those extension areas. We'll do that in due course once we're under production. So there's no, there's no hurry for that. The ground is uh, under our EIs or on our mining permit anyway, um, so, uh, or our mineral license, if you like. Um, so we will advance those um, naturally, uh, but at the moment we have sufficient permitting in place to commence uh, production within the nine to 12 months. That's perfect as far as, you know, it's much easier to to expand and modify permits once you're in production. And of course, it's much mm. easier on the cash flow standpoint is when you have Absolutely. cash flow coming in, it makes yeah. it much, much easier from yeah. a cost yeah. standpoint. Well, yeah, talk about true. the financing package, Mark. Mm -hmm. What is the most likely mix? I mean, share what you can here, but what's your thought on mix of funding among maybe some debt, uh, maybe offtake, uh, royalty stream arrangement potentially, and also what portion can the shareholders expect in equity? The total number we're looking at is about $30 million Canadian, and that's really what the pre-feasibility study defined. That comprised of mining costs, uh, you know, pre-stripping costs of about $8 million, capital costs of equipment of about $1.5 million, 
the mill refurbishment about four million cost improvements to the mill about eight million so that's a quite a, a large number but you know it, in terms of getting a project back into production compared to some of our peers it's a, a fraction of what they would need my point here is that although it's in the pfs is 30 million dollars we're working quite hard on reducing that uh, I don't know what that number would be yet, but uh, some of the indications are we can improve the mill at a much lower cost by changing some of the equipment out or changing some of the assumptions. So we're working through those. Um, obviously, uh, any changes to the mill and to the process uh, require the government to be involved. And so we're just looking at uh, what we need to do on that um, and whether it's a good opportunity or something we would do in due course. So in terms of that number, uh, $30 million, we believe it's a combination of equity debt and offtake prepayments. Because it's such a good concentrate and it's a well-known concentrate, I can say that we're obviously we're, we're working with a number of different uh, groups and that's looking promising. We haven't uh, press released anything in that regard yet. There's a lot of uh, scenarios that we're working through and certainly we have a lot of interest from investment banks, uh, you know, from Bay Street here in Canada and to uh, other groups that are to see this as a, as a no-brainer uh, and definitely there's an opportunity to be involved in a project and, and a company that is well positioned to both go back into production in the short term and take advantage of these high prices. So they're all in our data room. We're in very active discussions and, and we hope to have a result out of that as soon as possible. COVID hasn't helped in terms of that process of due diligence and site visits and so forth. So we're obviously uh, we're having to be quite cautious about that. And that's slowed, I, I believe, the process down somewhat, but uh, it's still going on uh, nonetheless. Yeah, and Mark, do you think that the uh, maybe a staged approach, you know, chipping off a couple million here and there and taking kind of a, a staged finance approach makes sense for this project given the small capex? And then there is no royalties on the project is what I understand. But can you speak to, you know, maybe the timing here? What do you think as far as maybe getting the financing secured? Is that something you guys are going to do in 2021? Do you see that first zinc concentrate can happen in 2022? Maybe just give us some time frames. Okay. In terms of the stage approach for financing, I believe that the $30 million is not a, a large amount these days for, uh, for a project of this size. So I think it makes sense to focus on the 30 million and really that's what we're targeting on as i mentioned a combination of uh, equity and offtake i'd rather not go to the market and dribs and drabs on this but that's also an opportunity i think the pfs delivered some very robust and compelling results sufficient enough that we can execute on that capital of 30 million dollars and put it back into production within the time frame the stage approach may be more as opposed inside the deck and equity component, you know, completing a, let's say a $10 million financing and the balance of that is on debt and on offtake. That would probably make more sense. There is a small royalty to the Nova Scotia government. That is quite an opportunity, I think, for the government is a 2% royalty, not a large royalty by any means, but important for the province as well. In terms of the financing, I believe that uh, this year has is, is been quite unusual. I don't expect to have a financing in place this year, and we really never expected it to have it done in you know, such a short period of time, especially over COVID and, and all those restrictions. So I expect that to be in place uh, early next year. And regarding commercial production, 
There's a time range for that, and it depends on a few things, of course. Uh, some lead items, long-term lead items uh, that we included in the PFS have about a nine-month time frame on that. So we may well defer some of those. They're not critical items. They're just uh, improvements to the overall recovery. But if you discounted those, then we could be in production within the nine months at the very earliest uh, from after financing. So that would potentially put us in place uh, in production in at the end of 2021 next year. But we also have to look at the seasonal aspects of it. Do we want to be in production in the dead middle of winter and declare commercial production in that period of time? Or do we rather wait uh, a couple of weeks or a month and set it all up in the ideal operating conditions? So those are the opportunities I would look at once the decision point comes along. Yeah, a short time frame, and if you guys can get financing in, in the first quarter of next year, that's well done on timing if you can do that. Uh, but definitely sometime in you know early 2022 for production yeah. sounds like yeah. a pretty reasonable target. Well, what do you see, Mark, You know, looking at exit strategy for the company? What do you see? I mean, do you see this this company, uh, you know, running a mining company, being a producer? Uh, do you see room to expand? And, and obviously, you know, you guys, once you become a producer, you're going to become a depleter. Do you see expansion beyond the Scotia property? What's your thoughts on that? Or do you see potentially that there's a buyout at some point in the future? What are your thoughts on exit strategy? My focus is on getting this into commercial production right now, and I think that's going to be a major catalyst uh, for the company and certainly for our investors. My focus is on building the company up, and I think that's going to create some incredible opportunities for the company in terms of uh, the market cap and valuation of our share price and so forth, but also the uh, the ability for us to do additional things, leveraging off this project. We're surrounded by other potential resource prospects, um, that some of which we have in our portfolio, zinc and lead which would be uh, trucked into the operation to lengthen the mine line. Um, we also have a very large mill. We believe it's the second largest in uh, Nova Scotia. So we could potentially process other material, at least crush it and grind it. And we'd have to go through the permitting process with that. But uh, it's huge infrastructure in place right now. And it's brick and it's concrete and it's a lot of steel. Uh, and that's worthy, I think, of looking at many other opportunities. And that's one of the reasons why we looked at changing the company's name to SCO Metals or some other such name to essentially uh, take advantage of our region for the project. Uh, so I believe the exit strategy uh, will be dictated after we get through to commercial production. I think our shareholders uh, would like to see the appreciation of the, of the share price as, as I do. And so it's hard to say. I think a project in production is worth a lot more than a project that's been on care and maintenance for some time. So that's my focus. Um, and I think my expertise is on getting these opportunities advanced. That's really going to be the, the value creating opportunity. Uh, we are a commercial production or new term commercial production story. It's a low C1 cash cost. Uh, it's built, it's permitted, it's essentially ready to go. And the fundamentals from zinc are improving quite well and we're going to take advantage of those uh, of that marketplace albeit um, we have a very low operating cost of, in the pfs so even if the prices were depressed in the future we'll be still be operating this is a clean concentrate it's a very simple process of, of essentially of um, winning the concentrate and getting it to the market 
the logistics are excellent. So that all goes into lowering the operating cost and the longevity of the operation. Yeah, the project has been substantially de-risked, and I think the final mm. risks are really just, you know, getting this sucker into production and, and going. And, <laughs> you know, I think that's where the final risk lies, and I think you've got the team to be able to achieve that. And on the mm. downside, like you said, you've got a lot of cushion on the zinc yep. price. That's a really good setup as well. We certainly yep. like what's happening there. Well, Mark, for the audience, so SCO Zinc today sits about uh, 8.5 million Canadian market cap. What do you say to potential new and even existing investors who are looking to establish and increase their position with SCOZINC at current prices and in front of a potential restart financing? Other than be involved in the company and, and take a meaningful position, I'd say to uh, look at our opportunity. We're certainly executing a strategy since I've joined. Uh, I think we've made some great, uh, great advances. Uh, not only on the project from planning up the corporation and advancing that to be on the cusp of creating an enormous value for our investors. So uh, there's not too many stories out there that have permanent mine with strong, robust economics, which are Canadian owned. You can, uh, aside from COVID, you could essentially you know, fly from Toronto in the morning and be on the mine site, have a great tour and understand the project and the team and be back at Pearson with a lobster from the airport. It's a very good location. The logistics are excellent. We've fixed the company uh, in terms of some of those uh, aspects of you know, debt and, and we've changed a few things. We've strengthened the board. I, I think uh, this is a very unusual opportunity for investors to be part of a growing story that has a lot of opportunities, not only for zinc and lead, as I mentioned before, uh, but it, uh, we believe it's a very compelling investment thesis for the prudent investor. They can leverage off the, the zinc and the base metal space by investing in a first world country where there is a rule of law, there's high environmental standards, and there's very strong transparency. Look through our press releases, you see that that's what I've tried to do. Tell the real story of what's what's happening and put a strong professional team behind that so you know that we're not just uh, creating stories, we're actually building a mining company that has the opportunity in the legs to go the full distance. And the best way for the audience to reach out to you and the company? They can uh, contact uh, us through uh, the website. There's, uh, there's links to that, uh, info at scozinc.com or they can reach the company at our reception in Halifax. Um, we have a, a facility there. Uh, they can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. And of course, uh, reach out to us in any of those different methods and we'd happy to provide as many um, uh, answers as we can. We, we try to be as transparent as we can. Uh, all our records are up to date and we're just moving this along. This is a story that we'd encourage uh, investors to take note of and obviously to be a part of. Well, Mark, this has been great. Good to chat. I really appreciate the introduction to SCOZINC, and thanks for coming on the show. Keep up the efforts. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate your time, and thank you for this opportunity to lay out some of our plans.